If you would, please turn to the letter of the church in Ephesus, chapter 4, the first six verses. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called into one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all and in all. Father, we thank you for an opportunity to look at your book. Father, I pray. So we've been praying for months now. The Lord, that we would uh, walk worthy. Walk worthy of the calling with which we have been called. But Father, we can look at this and we do it in a very cursory way and we know that this is beyond our abilities. So, Father, I would ask that you'd help us, each and every one, every moment of our life, in Christ's name. Amen. We've looked at this. Stephanie said this is the 22nd, 20th, 20th message in six verses. <laughs> That's going to be some kind of a world record, isn't it? Dr. MacArthur's got about a half a chapter for all six verses, and so I'm going to have to call him up and tell him, man, you just butchered that. But anyway. <laughs> all right, what we're looking at is the lowly walk of a high position. This is our walk. We saw the call in verse 1. Paul the prisoner is begging us, walk worthy of that calling. But then we saw the characteristics, four of them, four characteristics of the worthy walk. We saw that in verses 2 and 3. And that was humility, gentleness, patience, long-suffering love. That helps us to diligent in preserving the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. Okay? But now we're going to conclude, believe it or not, with the cause of the worthy walk. Now last week we looked at that, and I showed you that in these three verses... One verse is a Holy Spirit verse, one verse is the Son's verse, and one verse is God's verse. Okay? And, and that's, that's what, remember I've told you this, and I've, I've for, forgotten to remind you three most important things about interpretation of Scripture is context, or context, and then context. Okay? Because it was written in a fashion that didn't leave room for argument, but we're good. <laughs> we, we can argue about anything. And, and, I, and, and I'll show you a point in that. Last week I showed you the verse on the Spirit. All right? There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called into one hope of your calling. All right? I'm seeing an emphasis. What do you think? One or one, or there could be one, right? All right, he showed us that there is only one body. Right, you know what that means, right? There's only one church. 
Alright? And the reason there's one church is because there's one Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that places the individuals into the body. Remember last week I showed you that we are each a temple of the Holy Spirit, but we are put together for the habitation of the Holy Spirit. So when we come together, that unity is seen and lost people go, whoa, interesting. So that is the Spirit verse. And you were called in the one hope of your calling. All right, that's what the Spirit is doing. He puts you into the one. Okay, now let's look at the Son's verse. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Okay, how many lords are there? Okay, one. Now, I want you to note here, because there's a great Baptist tradition that this says is a lie. The great Baptist tradition is that you come to a point of salvation and you hang out and you do your thing and eventually somewhere down the course of your life you will make Jesus Lord. That's a lie. You do not make Jesus Lord. He is Lord. Okay? Listen. Neither is there salvation in any other name. Okay? No other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Acts 4.12 Any other gospel, Paul tells us, should be accursed. There is only one Lord. Romans chapter 10, verse 12. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. For the same Lord... Over all is rich unto all of the same Lord. Alright? There is only one. Please understand that. And there is no other. He will put everything under His feet. In Him, in Colossians it says, Chapter 1, in Him, the fullness of Godhead dwelling bodily is complete in Him. Remember, this morning we're looking at the upper room discourse. Peter, Thomas, and Philip had some issues. Jesus said He was getting ready to leave. And where He was going, they couldn't go. And they were a bunch of whinies and says, why can't I go with you? But anyway, it it... They wanted to know. And then all of a sudden they become very, very theological and said, show us the Father, that will be sufficient. And he says, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. Okay? So there's only one Lord. Got it? But he also says there's only one faith. Okay, the faith, this is really... A debate that goes on. I've actually had it with some people in this church over this. One faith is the content of the revealed Word of God. Okay? 
There isn't anything outside of it. Now, there is a growing movement that there is more outside of it. You know, you get this down and absorb, then God will turn on some more lights for you. Okay? Or they'll get into what I call it the hermeneutics of humility. Okay? And what they say is, I'm too humble to understand this holy book. So, I get experiences, and in my experiences, that's how I understand what the faith is. Um, I don't know about you, but that is so, so dangerous. Okay? There is, if you start moving down that road, then you will have multiple Christianities. All right? When I first became a believer in Jesus Christ, there was a group of people called Latter-day Saints. We call them the Mormons. And if you asked them questions, they would never want to be called Christian. Because their faith is different. But guess what now? They want to be called Christians. And they will try to tell you that they have the same faith. But their faith is outside of the revealed Word of God. To use Paul's term in the letter to the Galatians, that's anathema. But it used to be, not so long ago, that if you ran into a Catholic, they were considered themselves as Catholics. Okay? Now they call themselves Christians. All right? Tragically, they're not. They have a different faith. Okay? So there's only one Christianity, which means there's only one Christian faith, and I gave you examples of how that has changed today. And it's accepted. It's accepted. Uh, It's accepted by the evangelical community. It's accepted by a number of people. Some of you guys don't remember. I was highly involved with this. Gosh, we were down down there. But it was called the ECT document. And it was evangelicals and Catholics together for the moral good of society. Okay? Okay. In the document, they had the brain trust show up for this one. It was kind of funny. You had guys who were on our side show up. Arthur Pink was there. R.C. Sproul was there. John MacArthur was there. What's the guy out of uh, Florida who's passed away? I can't remember his name. Anyway, I can't remember uh, his name. Presbyterian dude. But anyway... And then you had all of the brain trust. You had three bishops of apologetics from the Vatican. And then you had some of the big guys here in the United States. And they all got together because we all have the same passion that we want to help our communities and our society. And we can all be in agreement with that. And so we would have this union document that everybody could sign. Okay? Anyway, I've heard stories. I have a video of uh, 
some of the conversations. There was a statement in the document that caused Mr. R.C. Sproul to get out of his church and actually crawl across the table toward the bishop. It says, we will unite in the things of our community, but we will not proselytize each other. And R.C. Stroll's comment was something to this effect. I cannot in good conscience allow you to condemn yourself to hell without me trying to stop you. Now that will win friends. Okay. In case you didn't figure it out, that duck didn't fly. Okay. James Kennedy was the guy I was trying to remember out of Florida. So, I, but see, we try to do these things. I've, I've been meeting with some of the political people here in our community on this thing that had happened at the STEM school and how they want to have the family of faith assist them with this, the high suicide rating in Douglas County youth and then the shooting and all of this other stuff. And I don't say anything because I listen and all I see, I got this little thing that goes off in my head and said, well, that's a trap. That's a trap. You don't want to step into that one. Ooh, that one there get you too. And that, that's what's going on in my little pea brain. I'm like, no, man, I don't want no part of this. I want no part of this. Well, you want to put a picture out to the community that see kumbaya. But it isn't. You want to stop suicide? Give them hope. Okay? And it's obvious that the things of this world is not getting it done. So perhaps we should try something that is out of this world. Just an idea. Okay? But see, you can't do that. Because they said, do you have anything that... I said, yeah, I'd be willing to start and train people to teach an elective class in all of our high schools based on the scriptures. <laughs> You'd have thought I mooned them. <laughs> it was this, we can't do that. Then give them Ten Commandments. One they can wear on the front and one they can wear on the back. Um, but, you know, it, no, until you expose them to the holiness of God and the righteousness of God, and the hope of your calling, it ain't going to happen. So you see what I'm trying to get at? There's one faith. And I don't care what you paint it, there's only one. Jude tells us that it was delivered once and for all to the saints. But we also are told that we should earnestly contend for the faith. Okay? You know what it means to contend? Fight. I've got to fight for it. Why? Because it goes throughout history, it's always been attacked. I want to add to the Scriptures. I want to augment the Scriptures. You know, I see people who will go to blows over footnotes. That's not Scripture. What does the Scripture say? Okay? 
The faith. Definite article. The faith. Contend the content of the revealed Word of God. That is the faith. Period. Exclamation point. One faith. That's it. Just one. And why is there so much differences? Why? Why do we have all of this? Humanism. Humanism. That's probably the single greatest part of it. Is that, listen, (laughs) I'm betting that Satan is embarrassed with Satanists. Okay, because they're kind of embarrassing. And, and it just, it's, you know, gee whiz. Okay. Satan's religion is humanism. I will be as God. Give me the problem. I will eventually come up with a solution for it. And it'll be a man-made solution. That's humanism. I can fix this. Doesn't matter what it is. I can eventually get this thing fixed. Okay? That's humanism. That's probably the foundation that is against the faith, the true faith. Okay? Because that's Satan's religion. And it, it is just simple. Has God said it's that that is all and listen you can argue with him all the rest all he has to do is put a seed of doubt that's all he needs that's it and he wins because then you start questioning and it becomes a rippling effect okay another problem with why so much difference I would say inadequate study. Inadequate study. Uh, I prefer, I've got a Bible in there in my office. It's, it's called an archaeological Bible. It is the Bible like you and I would know the Bible. But everything's based on archaeological findings. And it gives me like, if I look at the book of Ephesians, it explains to me this is what the commerce in Ephesus was. They had a big channel that took them out to the Adriatic Sea. And that channel that made Ephesians a, a literal port, and it's actually inland. But they had this canal that they built that they could get into it. It was a very prosperous place, very uh, financially sound. You can learn that about Laodicea too. And I can go through this list. So archaeologically, when I'm studying the Scripture, I want to know the historical setting for this place. Corinth is on an isthmus. Okay, you know what an isthmus is? Okay, and they had big bucks that they made that went into the town, the city coffers, because ships sailing out of Rome or of the underbelly of Europe would come down instead of going all the way around the horn of Greece with, if you know anything about selling, when you get out to one of those horns, it's a challenge because you got waves and currents that crash there. 
And if you've got a boat and you don't know what you're doing, everybody's going to know you don't know what you're doing. So what they would do to save time and maybe the cargo is they would go to Corinth and they literally would put logs under the boat and pull it up and over the isthmus and then drop it back in the other side. And they never had to go around the horn. So see, there's stuff like that. You read it and you're like, wow, man. These guys are motivated or crazier than loons. But I also know that there was a, a huge and flourishing women's lib movement in Corinth. Uh, I think it was Socrates or Plato said he loved to go there to relax because you had bare-chested women climbing poles and spearing pigs. And I just never really went into it to say, well, what is that all about? But I thought, okay, enough said. Okay. So you see some of this stuff. So when you're studying Scripture, do you know the historical detail? How about Thessalonica? Thessalonica has never been without an evangelical church ever. From the time the Apostle Paul planted it, and if they've been under the Ottoman control, they've been under communist control, they've been under Nazi control. You go through the list, they've always been they're right there at a place at crossroads that everybody takes and conquers them. And yet there has always been a church there. Okay, and and Thessalonica was a harbor town, but it was also a military asset. Had a major garrison there, but it also had the Ignatian Highway. The Ignatian Highway went through it, and that's the east-west road that existed. That was like taking I twenty-five. Okay, if you were to go from Rome to Antioch, Syria, you had to go through Thessalonica. Okay. So you put all of this stuff together and you start understanding more and more about what this book is saying. That's why I say inadequate study. There's times when we just don't look at it that hard. You know, I remember the first time I read the New Testament, I kept thinking, why have we got four Gospels? I mean, you could have just had Matthew drop the other three because they all say the same thing. But there's a reason that they were written that way. One was written to Gentiles. One was written to Jews. One was written to religious. There's always a reason. And then there's John's love letter. Inadequate study. And then another one, why is there so much difference in the faith, is I would call it a lack of diligence. A lack of diligence. Think about What does it take to keep you from reading your Bible? What distraction can stop you from reading your Bible? Well, I slept in, or I didn't sleep enough, or fill in the blank. I mean, think about it. What can keep me from reading my Bible? That's a lack of diligence. I was reading, uh, was it John Calvin? I think it was John Calvin. might have been Martin Luther, one of them guys. John Calvin. Because he's raising his his niece and nephew. If he had a busier day, and and I've looked at what his normal day was and go, okay, he wrote his institutes before he was twenty, and that may be the greatest combination of theology ever completed. I mean, it's just. I mean, you just start reading through that. It gives you a headache. You said, this dude is 20 years old thinking this stuff up. Okay. But anyway, 
He had some health issues. His wife died, so he was raising his kids, and his brother was a drunk, and so he was taking care of it. If he had a busier day, he would get up earlier so he could have time in prayer and in the Word before he started his day. And I know what his normal day was. He usually preached three times a day, seven days a week. Okay, but he also taught in a seminary. Okay, he also ran an orphanage. Okay, he was also a, an amazing writer. I mean, he wrote a commentary on every book of the Bible except for Revelations. I don't mean in detailed commentaries. All right, that is a person who is diligent in what he's doing. Okay, you think about us, how easily I can be stopped from praying, how easily can I be stopped from reading my Bible, how easily can I have these things distract me. Okay, another thing that causes us problem is tradition. We have traditions. It's like I told you, the Baptists usually have this tradition that you get saved. You hang out for a while. You're usually on fire for 18 to two years, 18 months to two years. And then you fall away, usually about three to five years. And then you come back and you make him Lord. And that's Baptist tradition. Okay, now I hate to break the news to you. That's not biblical. Other than that, it's, it's not bad. I mean, you can say, well, I've seen it all over the place. No, what you saw was somebody who was wanting to make a deal with God and it didn't work. And then he crushed them and they came and got saved. Okay, that's the difference. All right. But we have traditions and I'm I'm sorry. You know, I got into trouble with this. Okay, because I I had people who've left the church and said, well, you haven't given an altar call. And I said, well, the text didn't lend itself to an altar call. Well, but you're a Baptist. You're supposed to have an altar call. And, you know, and I've heard some guys preach some weird texts and get an altar call out of them. And I got to give them credit. I couldn't do it. But they said, well, how are you going to make, how are people going to make a commitment? How are they going to make a change? I said, I've never preached a sermon. I didn't want to change. I don't preach. So you can all just stay the same. Preach for your change. But there's times that we have to be careful with traditions. I like traditions. I don't, I don't have a problem with them. But when all of a sudden they start becoming more important than the Lord Jesus Christ and what the true faith is, then uh, that's a problem. I know a church here in town who has amazing traditions. And he can explain stuff to you, and you just sit there and go, Wow, how did, how did you remember all that? But I've seen traditions, for the most part, seems to hide the faith, the one and only faith. The tradition becomes the the plan, not the revealed Word of God. Okay, that's that's why I have a hard time. Uh, I don't mind written prayers. I, I shared you a year of Puritan prayers, and they were pretty cool. But I don't like, you know, it's. Uh, Annunciation time. So here's the prayers for Mother Mary. Nah. I remember we were meeting when the first the pastors first started getting together. We were praying downtown and I was praying and the guy said, Where'd you get that? I said, What? 
He says, where did you get that prayer? He says, I looked over. He says, you didn't have a note card or anything. Where'd you get that? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> just, it fell out of this ear and went across to that one and fell out my mouth in the middle. I mean, I don't, I don't know. That's, but I thought that was kind of cute. Where did I get that? I don't know, but I'll sell it to you. <laughs> did you write it down? Because <laughs> I don't know. All right. Please understand something. I mean, I just look at this group here tonight, today. Every one of us come from different places. But we come with our faith. And the reason that you and I come together is so that you and I can grow in that faith. It's kind of cool if you think about it. You help me grow, I help you grow. But there's also, look here in verse 5, there is one baptism. Remember what I told you, context, context, context. All right? This baptism is water baptism. There's one baptism. Okay, why? Because this is the Son's verse. All right? Spirit baptism was taken care of in verse 4. Remember? One body. You were baptized into one body. Now you have one baptism. That is water baptism. Water baptism. We were all placed in the body by the Spirit of God. That is what we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I had a conversation this week with somebody who was was talking to a Pentecostal. And in the conversation, the comment was made, I believe that you may have the Holy Spirit except you can't speak in tongues. And you're like, what? Hallelujah. Fooled you, huh? <laughs> okay. Here is the son's verse. Remember where there was one hope in verse 4. That was the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. But now we're in the son's verse. One Lord. There's one faith. You put your faith in that Lord and you be baptized as a public expression. That's all it is. You know, I have seen so many. I remember when I got baptized. There was two ladies were being baptized with me. Not at the same time. They were on that side. And me and another guy were on this side. And so we were sitting there talking and you know, it's like I said, I had just walked in. And I said, I want to be baptized. And they said, well, you need to. And I was like, dude, if you ain't going to baptize me, I'll go somewhere else. I mean, that was the extent of my theology. I need to be baptized. So I'm talking to this guy. And he says, he says, man, you just won't believe this. And I was like, really? He says, yeah. And he says, this is the fourth time I've been baptized. And so, now, I don't know nothing, right, about the Bible. I'm sitting there going, well, how many times am I supposed to do this? I mean, I thought you just got baptized. But he said, no, man, this is my fourth. I'm going to you know, get it. And I was like, wow, man, that's, 
I didn't know that I was supposed to do that. I was like, well, so was, do I show up here every Wednesday and get baptized? What's going on here? All right, but I didn't know. Please understand, there's only one baptism. Okay? And baptism does not save you. Baptism doesn't do a thing for you except get you wet. Baptism is actually for the people who are watching. Okay? Because when I'm watching someone be baptized, that person's telling me that they are in Christ with me. And you're like, wow, cool. There's another one. All right? And yet I watch people struggle with baptism. And I was like, wow, man, you think struggling with obedience and baptism is tough. Wait till he starts messing with your pride. (laughs) All right. In the early church, baptism was critical. Baptism was this public expression. It's a testimony. It is a testimony of an inward reality. And it's made public. Externally, I guess if you want to really look at it, it is, it's just a public proclamation. I'm in Him. In the early church, it was very important. But understand, there's only one baptism. Do you realize that you were not baptized in the name of Paul? There's only one name that you are baptized. The Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? So you can see that in that context. When you were saved, there was one Lord. When you were saved, because of that one Lord, you have one faith. And that faith you believe. And then there is one name that you were baptized in. The Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, that right there is all part of the simplicity of the acts of salvation. That's what it is. Then we have verse 6. Guess what? This is the Father's verse. Alright? Verse 6 says, One God and Father of all who is over all and through all, and in all. Okay? One God and Father. That one God and Father is above all. But that one God and Father is through all, and that one God and Father is in you and me. Alright? One of my favorite verses. I would like to preach this one time, but I don't have a Scottish accent. I heard a guy uh, from, from with a Scottish accent preach this, and it was like, whoa! We're going to glory! So anyway, but this is an amazing verse. The end of uh, Romans 11. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments, and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? 
Or who was first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. One. One. And guess what? There is no other. That remember when Moses said, was talking to God, and he was being told to go back to Egypt and get the Hebrews. And God said, and he said, Well, God, <laughs> who do I say sent me? God replied back and said, I am. Okay? Now that's an interesting word because I always struggled with that. I was like, I am. That's it. I am. I mean, that's, that's kind of corny. Yo, people, I am sent me. All right. Well, you have to understand the Hebrew mind. I am means that I exist and of myself. And I have absolutely no need of anything because I am. Okay. Now think about that for a few minutes. Dan, a person in this room doesn't have need of other people and other things and a few other odds and ends and, and all the rest of it. And yet God doesn't. He is the I am. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, it says, The Lord our God is one. One. Okay, now, you know, what I read to you in Romans 11 just kind of freaks me out. Who's ever given to him that he should be repaid? Who has ever known the mind of God to counsel him? I mean, you just sit there and go, Ooh, he is in all, all is in him. It's just, you know, it's, it's all him. Okay. There's one God, right? One Lord, one Holy Spirit. You know what the amazement is to me? You know, I listen to people all the time talk about miracles. You know, I like to have a miracle of fill in the blank. Okay. I like to see a miracle. This is. See something, whatever. You know what the greatest amazement and greatest miracle that I know of? One God, one Lord, one Holy Spirit. And when it says here, speaking of God, who is over all and is through all, and what else? And in all. The greatest miracle, that one is in us, which makes us one. I can't think of a greater miracle. I, what I know about history, what I know about our society today, what I know about culture and different cultures that I have ventured into, there's no such thing as one. And yet, in the church, there is one. Same Father we all have, the one who is above all, that's his sovereignty. He is the creator and he is the controller of the universe. Through all is his providence. No matter what's going on, through all he provides. 
the other night, Brian called me. He says, man, you got to look to the southeast. He said, because he says, when you see the moon come up, he says, then you'll see right after it, there'll be a little spot right below it to the corner. He says, that's Jupiter. It's Jupiter rising. I was like, yeah, all right. He says, now, if you get a pair of binoculars and you look through it tonight, you'll see, you can see the moons of Jupiter. But if you look at them tomorrow, they'll be in a different place because they're orbiting. So, I'm an empiricalist. Prove it. So I went out and looked at it twice. Guess what? He was right. You could see him moving. Little boogers. <laughs> Look at that thing. Now, you couldn't see him without binoculars, but if you looked at it, you could see that it was Jupiter because it's huge. But and I, and I just have a regular old pair of binoculars. It's not... Like I got a telescope or anything, but I could look at it and well, yeah. And then you could see the moons were in this place. There's like three of them that I could see. And then the next day they were in different places. I was like, oh, they're messing around. That's kind of cool. Okay, he's through all and in us all. Okay, you and I all have a personal indwelling of God the Father. God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Remember Ephesians three fourteen to twenty one. Strengthening the inner man by who? By the Holy Spirit, so that Christ is comfortable, and you would understand the love that surpasses knowledge, and know the fullness of who? God. So you are indwelt by the Godhead. We are. God created, we are God loved, we are God controlled, we are God sustained, we are God filled, we are God blessed, and it's all the same God. Now listen, I want you to observe something, what we've been through. And what did you say, 20 weeks. All of this is defining the Christian faith and the Christian faith is defined as one. One reason. God wants us to be one. And that starts deep inside of each and every one of us. And step one is pray. I was teaching this morning. Anything we ask in His name... He will do it. Right? I told you that in His name means it's in His will. So when you pray it, you can say, this is what Jesus wants. Okay? So, I can tell you right now, Jesus wants each and every one of us humble. Jesus wants each and every one of us strengthened in the inner man. Jesus wants each and every one of us meek. Jesus wants each and every one of us patient. He wants each and every one of us to have a long-suffering love. He wants each and every one of us to work hard and quickly at preserving the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So if you go back and look at some of my... I guess you can't look at them. You can hear some of my messages. There was one that said it is based on your self-awareness, on Christ's awareness... And on God awareness.
Self-awareness is the Holy Spirit working in the inner man. Remember? Humility produces meekness, produces patience, produces long-suffering love. Then we have the ability to keep the unity that the Spirit has already given us. Anytime you see somebody who's divisive, know this. They're fighting against God. And we do it in the bond of peace. And you know what? The world will say they're different. You know why? It's supernatural. That's a miracle. Scripture will bend you low. Period. Because you're in His presence. You ever heard of the term weak need? It's not really an attribute that we all want, right? If you're in this book, you better be weak need. Have you ever thought about that? Humble us, Lord. Ooh. See, true humility, think about it. True humility cannot compare to Christ. then we will know the unity in its fullness. I wonder how many people are actually brave enough to say, Lord, humble me. I mean, you know, how many of us want to pray for tribulation so that our faith will grow? If you are, stay away from me, would you please? I remember a guy telling me, he says, you really want to grow in your faith, pray for patience. I said, I don't have to pray for patience. Oh, you think you're patient? No, he'll give them to me. <laughs> I don't ask him for it. He'll take care of it. All right, brothers and sisters, that's the lowly walk of a high position. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. Father, I come, especially today, in absolute amazement. I am in awe of what you uh, what this text is. And then to find out that through all of this, you give us gifts so we can be overcomers. Help us, Lord. Help us to stand. But Father, also help us be weak need as we pour across your Scriptures to your glory and your praise. In Christ's name, amen.